Hi, Tim Brody here. Welcome, welcome. With me today is Peter O'Donoghue of Predictable Pipeline. Peter is an outbound marketing specialist and the UK's leading expert on cold emailing. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Ian. Great to be here with you. Thank you. Hey, Peter, just to start, um, what do we mean by cold emailing? Okay, yeah, great. Fantastic starting question. Um, so cold emailing is describing uh, the process of uh, outreaching to targeted individuals. Instead of using a uh, traditional cold calling via the, the telephone, it's using an introduction email to do exactly the same purpose. Okay, so they don't they don't know you. It's not like they've subscribed for regular marketing emails, etc. This is um, targeted on someone you would like to get to meet, get an introduction with, um, and it's kind of out of the blue. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's uh, I know you're a, a massive component of inbound marketing, uh, as I am as well. Uh, but with what we tend to see is you know, a lot of companies, uh, while they're fantastic at their, their own inbound marketing, they're, they're great at building inbound inbound marketing. Uh, what they also need is to add that outbound dimension to their business um, and, and that's where they get uh, you know increased added value by combining that outbound with the inbound combining the two yeah and, and of course different circumstances call for different things don't they you know if you if you want i guess an extreme example would be if you wanted to get a meeting with richard branson um just richard branson specifically you know you probably wouldn't run a facebook advertising campaign hoping him for the, for him to come to your website and sign up for emails you'd probably absolutely. find some way of reaching out to him directly <laughs> yeah absolutely that's 100 percent spot on 100 so cold email cold emailing emailing i'm struggling to get my teeth around that cold <laughs> emailing seems to be very much in vogue right now there's quite a few articles being written about it um, I think a lot of people are using it yep. especially to contact venture capitalists and people like that in, in the US and uh, yep. it's certainly increasing in popula- popularity and use versus something like cold calling so why is it why are people turning to cold emailing do you think? Okay, yeah, I've seen this a, a couple of different ways. I think it's in vogue because of the, the blogosphere and the type of people that are writing about it. So as you say, it's very much in vogue, certainly in, in tech and SaaS software as a service and startups um, coming out of Silicon Valley. Um, but I look at it, for me, the, the, the basis of this is, is you know, the technology is, has been an enabler, but it, it you know it stems back to what good sales practice has been doing for years. Um, so, a book that many of your uh, your subscribers might know is one called "Sales on a Beer Map" by Mike Southern, mm. who's a, a UK entrepreneur that built a, a tech training company. I, I can't remember whether it was the seventies or the eighties or the instruction set or one of those, wasn't it? Uh, that's right. Yeah, I can't quite remember the name of the company, but within his book "Sales on a Beer Mat, he uh, accredits a lot of his new business generation to an email template that he puts in there. Hmm. Uh, and that was how he did a lot of his outreach mm. or a lot of his prospecting. So, you know, that is a great example of cold emailing. Um, so that was... You know, so it's I, been around for a while. It's just that people have realized um, that they can use it, especially when, I guess, the chances of executives answering emails today are higher than they used to be a number of years ago. Yeah, there's a number of things, and so when I was looking back and reviewing some of your notes, one of the things that caught my eye was, you know, you're saying you know, it's difficult to get through gatekeepers in in corporate land, and you know, everyone has a PA. And I do, from my engagement with the companies, I think the marketplace and and the role of senior people has changed slightly. When I used to be selling high value IT and managed services, the director of our company, and this is quite some time ago, had a PA 
a Margie. She was a, a, a you know, very hard South African lady, and she answered every single. She screened every single email mm. and every single telephone call. There was absolutely no way you could get to uh, to the the CEO of that company. You know, absolutely no way. But now what we see is is most senior people are you know run the life from not one, maybe two telephones. You know, their mm. iPads, their their Macs. You know, they hot desk as much as everyone else in the company. You know, they don't have this big um, this kind of this idea of this big corporate corner office uh, and I just don't don't see that as much as it used to be you know some people are checking their emails on their iPhone right. uh, and they're very they're not used to having this uh, this reception this gatekeeper this little pass calls through they're used to just having people calling them themselves or checking their email and it's a very very different way of working or, or even if they're being screened they're certainly not being screened at uh, you know at six in the morning when they get up to go to the gym and they check their iPhone for their messages, yeah. the peer is not is not checking their emails then for them. Yeah, that's right, and, it, and it, uh, absolutely, and it's, it, you know, we've got statistics on when people open emails and when could be right times to send emails. But but certainly, you know, and I'm one of those maybe awkward people that. Um, I have to say, my mother hates it. I don't have a home phone, for example. You know, I, I live off a home on my mobile phone. Right. You know, I have to have the the line there because it's you know for uh, broadband and everything else. But I've just unplugged the phone and I don't use it. So um, because I live off off you know mm. a little a little iPhone now, and, and I think a lot of like that, yeah. people are going that way. And um, so I think it, it really is a change in technology and the way. Uh, uh, working habits have changed but then not only that it's the enabling technology that allows us to do our, our cold outreach programs um, so one of the things that we first said is you know what's called emailing you know I combine it as part of a cold outreach program and the technology that has enabled some of the things that we do for clients or some of the things I do with clients just didn't exist um, mm. You know, a year ago, I, I call the olden days of when I was doing this. You know, <laughs> some of the things, you know, and, and, and I guess you know, one of the questions that you, I, I would guess a lot of your readers might, you know, how do you find people's email addresses? And we may come to that. Mm. And, and when I'm training and consulting, I kind of call it the olden days, and that was you know 12 months ago. Uh, and certainly, technology has radically shifted in how we do things. Right. So, so overall, in terms of the basics, when does cold calling, cold not cold calling, cold emailing? work best are are there certain types of client it works best for we've mentioned obviously kind of tech savvy clients but that you know i wouldn't want to kind of stereotype it in that in any industry at any age there are people who use technology more and people use technology less um so are there any kind of industries or types of people or situations where you think you'd say cold emailing works really well and any kind of situations where people could look at it and say nah it's not going to work for me yeah, I think you have to be very careful about matching the right style and the application to the industry sector and the seniority of, of the people. So I guess the easy way that I describe this is, yeah, if feasible, if your uh, if your readers your uh, could kind of take a pen and a piece of paper, or just imagine if they draw a, a triangle on that piece of paper uh, and then draw two lines left to right sort of cutting that triangle into into three sections or they could go right to left i'm not precious about that um, uh, and in the bottom uh, right mass so what we kind of work on three levels so with mass uh, mass is kind of a, a very templated style email and in the in kind of the, the people who talk about cold emailing it's what's known as a, a referral style email and it was actually one that's uh, popularized by a chap called Aaron Ross 
who implemented this style of email and uh, it was a fundamental process that grew salesforce.com right. uh, as a as a business and it was when they were um, looking to mass market penetration into what they could call the SMB market mm-hmm. which we would it's going to more call the SME market in the UK um, so a, a mass email is uh, is pretty much a templated email it's no direct relevance to the people in terms of you know we've noticed this about your business we've seen this trigger event so you haven't done any research or anything uh, that's right yeah. absolutely absolutely so it's an email that's designed to be uh, specifically uh, detailed enough to be vague um, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's strange, uh, but what that, it, it could be something along the lines of, "Yeah, I wonder if you could point me in the right direction of who's responsible for your marketing." Hmm. Um, even if you were doing a specific type of inbound digital marketing, um, you wouldn't put that because it's uh, you're not trying to give away too much. Um, so, what you're looking to do as a result of that email is solicit a response and that's the only thing that you're looking to do um so where that works you have to be very very careful with it's with that style of email so one um it, it we've seen it work in, in in multiple multiple industries but what it allows you to do is have mass market penetration very very quickly um, because it's feasible for, for one person doing outbound prospecting to do about 1,500 outbound emails uh, a, a month. So that gives you sort of a reasonable uh, mass market penetration. Mm. Um, uh, and typical response rate off that might be, say, about 10%. But out of that 10%, you know, I'd love to say there's everyone replying back saying, oh, you know, sounds brilliant, please buy, let us buy your stuff. You know, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So what tends to happen is that you, you begin to get statistically relevant numbers. But over that 10%, you might get 2% that say, um, yeah, please contact me. You might get another 2% that say, well, we're under contract. You might get another 2% that say, please send me more information, you know, a, a percent or two, say, unsubscribe. Mm. Um, but you start to build those numbers. So what you're doing, it's kind of working the concept that at any one time there's maybe 5 to 15% of the marketplace kind of actively thinking or engaging or looking for what you're doing. So it's a very, very quick way to, to outreach and, uh, and, and engage with the people that want to engage. Ah, right. So, so you know, so often I'll talk when, when we're, we're doing marketing about the similar, similar statistics that mo- lots of people are already. Now, one, one strategy for that is to position something earlier on up the decision chain so that you're bi- you're building a relationship with them early and so that when the time is right later then they turn to you but what's happening here with this email is you're just trying to kind of harvest or cream the ones who are already ready um, with a great offer um, you're not making them the offer in the email but you're finding out who's ready to talk about it I, I think for that for that question or, or, or that comedy and I think uh, I can say yes and no right and let me try and highlight that with an example because one of the things that you said is you know what industries so one of my first clients that I did this with was a very traditional uh, management consulting company in the UK uh, I'll, I'll try and be as specific as I can without giving their, their business away but they deal uh, in very uh, uh, older style industry so manufacturing retail mm-hmm uh, and they deal with companies, and they have a very specific target. So companies that spend between £100,000 and £5 million on a certain service, right. you cannot buy a list of who uses that service. Right. You, know, you cannot go to a list broker. You cannot build that via LinkedIn. You cannot build that. There is absolutely no way that you can build that or buy that list. It just does not exist. You just don't know from outside whether a company... F- 
fits that model or not. That's right. You can make assumptions. You can make assumptions, obviously, you know, the traditional ways based on the, the number of uh, retail units they have, the, the number of manufacturing units they have, the number of staff that they have. But you cannot, you know, there was absolutely no way of building that list. Um, and when I went in, they were using Salesforce, and uh, and I, I sort of got them to implement marketing automation. So I, I put Pardot in, in with them as well. Or Pardot, I can never remember which way, yeah, the correct yeah. way of saying that. Um, um, so, but they had no, and it was very likely that when they reached out and got into a conversation with someone, that they might be in contract for 12 months. Or they, you know, that's the way that that industry works. You know, when they were engaged with a consultant to help them do the service that they provided, they would sign them for a year or two years because mm. uh, they were sort of an, an intermediary to another service. So this outreach program allowed them to. So we implemented it and we we kind of tweaked it. So what that allowed them to do was quickly do sort of a mass market penetration. And the goal was, yes, to qualify and try and find people who are within that kind of sweet spot if they were going to be doing something in the next four, five months. Mm -hmm. However, every time we had a response, so you get people responding saying, we're under contract, uh, we've got another 12 months, we've got another 18 months. That was a fantastic opportunity to bridge to a telephone call. Uh, and that's part of my process is every response that we get, you're only ever going to get somewhere between six and ten responses, mm-hmm. for, depending on the industry. So we're in contract. Uh, we have an existing provider. Please send me more information. It's not me. Here's a referral. So we use all of those. And we've got a process that works around those. Um, but the, the main thing is to turn everything bar and unsubscribe into a bridge to pick up the phone and combine it then with a, a warm outreach via the phone. Right. And what that allowed them to do very, very quickly was even if uh, it wasn't, you know, if they said, well, we're under contract for a another 12 months it was very hard to justify that personal engagement now because mm. uh, you know yes there's an argument you can strategically create a reason to speak with say one of their account executives now but the reality is for a prospect if they've signed it three months ago and they've got another 15 months on their contract mm. it's not a huge importance for them yeah but what that allowed them to do, by virtue of having that call, uh, the, we, I trained their prospector to to find out the answers to a number of questions. You know, what was their annual spend? When was their contract renewal dates? And one or two other uh, questions as well. But they were the main ones. Right. Uh, and because then we structured that in Salesforce, that they were searchable fields rather than in notes. You know, it, mm. if anyone listening here is doing anything with a CRM, never put anything uh, like that within because you well not only that you can't find it so if you think about this management consulting company so they now had uh, we said we split it down into into price uh, spend categories you know below 100k 100k to 250k 250 to half a mil half a mil to one one to five so all of those were now being recorded in their CRM system mm. and the time period of when their contract uh, uh, finished so we could then start building uh, some tr- more traditional marketing campaigns mm. targeting okay so we sat down and said okay well let's create a marketing campaign around um, the type of things that you should be doing six months before your contract is due to expire mm. and here's some templates that you should be looking at here's what you should be doing and because we had all of those on fields that were linked to their marketing automation literally you could we knew their expiry date roughly 
you know, because he'd never said it was the 15th of June, it was, you know, it, it's June there. So we could we could know roughly that within a month that they were going to be due for, we could trigger an automated outbound campaign that said, okay, uh, you know, here's, you know, seven critical things that you should be doing uh, uh, starting to plan six months ahead of your campaign. Mm. Uh, and then that's a drip moving down towards that, that date of, of when their contract expired. Um, so, of course, by the time that it comes into play, you know, there's only one company that's being positioned as their, their logical choice of someone to help mm. them with. So that's so the initial cold email, yes, it does what we what I originally said of um, you're harvesting the ones who are ready, but you are also finding the ones who might not be ready now, but will be in the market later. So you can do different forms of marketing to them. Absolutely, yeah, Excellent. absolutely. So what happened? So with that company, they went for, and, and these are the sort of. I think, like you, we, we sort of look at uh, um, analysis of consulting industries because that's something that's dear to our hearts. Um, you know, and some studies have shown, and I'd love to cite them, but it's one of you know I read so much that the so traditional consulting companies have about three to five new client uh, on target client meetings a month. Mm. And it was very similar with them. When when we went in and started this, they were doing four new client meetings a month. By the time we got this sort of systemized and leveled out, they were doing 20. Right. Uh, and there was 20 completed. But not only that, their conversion rate at the back end of that was doubling because they were much, much more highly qualified. Yeah. So we were, they got to the process where before they were kind of accepting anything, not anything, but maybe less highly defined to their ideal client profile because they were only getting about four a month. Indeed. Now they were ex- when you have a, when you have a sales target of having four meetings a month, um, you tend to hit that target irrespective of whether the, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So whether the meetings would, are useful or not. So what? That's right. So what they were doing now was actually um, dealing people out, qualifying people out because. Uh, you know, it would have been feasible to probably uh, quite easy have done 30 mm. but you know they really allowed them to hone in on what their ideal client profile was and it was that 1 million to, to 5 million right. sweet spot um, and it wasn't always about building for the future so their expectation for that client was um, on average our sales cycle is, is 3 to 6 months mm. uh, within 6 weeks of starting the outreach programme uh, they came across somebody who's quite unusual in the industry that um, they didn't have someone looking after this service for them and but their annual spend was six million and they tied up that deal within three weeks from the first outbound email when the traditional sales cycle is usually sort of three six nine months so you know it allows you to do a, a huge amount of outbound because you're just reaching more people essentially it, it's 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 all about the flow of leads into the system if you're reaching more people then you get more highly targeted i'm ready now people coming in and you get more people who could be a potential for the future who you can then narrow down and filter out the ones who aren't quite so perfect if you've got a real you know paucity of leads coming into the system yeah you end up having meetings with ones who aren't perfect for you simply because you just you just don't have much else to do yeah you're spot on but I must say, because you know, 
uh, I, I appreciate the, the amount of work that you've done with your subscribers. You know, a, a, a bunch of brilliant marketeers and following what you're doing. And, and the sort of uh, one of the courses you're doing is how to target um, sea uh, uh, level people. I, I guess as well. That's going to be some of the things you're testing. There is one potential drawback with this type of approach that we call mass, mm. uh, and that is um, you have to be very careful of either the technical sophistication of the industry um, so the basis of this style of email is a referral style email so it's not really showing that you've done any research into that business actually can i just just put in there for a second peter so when you see a referral type email there what yes. you're meaning is that often you're, you're it's not that you've had a referral from someone it's that you're looking to be referred to the right person absolutely yeah absolutely so you're looking it, it may well be the person that you're sending it to is the right person mm. um but it, it's styled that it's uh you know i wonder if you could point me in the right direction of the person responsible for your marketing so if it is the right person it might be the managing director of a manufacturing company and they might say yeah well actually i've got a big hand in that uh, so yeah you can speak to me or it could be uh, a referral and they will reply back or they'll carbon copy you in to the head of marketing and it's about that penetration into that company and you can leverage that internal referral um the, the challenge with that is though you know quite plainly you've not demonstrated that you've done any style of, of research into that company at mm -hmm. all and it is possible you know, if you're going to run a mass campaign that you can make that template maybe industry specific so you could mention ma uh, manufacturing and, and only do a mass campaign to manufacturing and take that template and make it different for retail you can use some of the kind of words that make sense to them so um you know in different industries people have different kind of job titles you know instead of being a, a I don't know, a, a buyer, they're a, you know, they have a special term for it that, that lets them know that you kind of understand their industry a bit. But I guess there's only a limited amount you can do. That's it. And that's the challenge. And, and for me, it's a, it's that, it's a trade-off between the mass and the sophistication. Right. So, you know, I'll give you, I don't always get it right. And I was sort of joking you, um, saying that, you know, I've, I've made a, a few messes. And one of them had actually was yesterday. Um, and and it, it, it killed me to kind of look at this email that I got back. Um, so one of the things I'm saying is about industry and level uh, sophistication. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're going into uh, sort of an owner-managed business, promoting a service or, or trying to mass market to owner-managed business or, you know, in that one million, a couple of million turnover um, or in, in more older style industries, you know, these work perfectly. And don't get me wrong, they work in tech industries as well. Um, uh, but one, I've got a, a chap outbound doing outbound emailing for for me, and we had a, an email back yesterday that um, that basically said thank you very much for your emails. You know, uh, it's a great example of how not to do it. <laughs> um, I've I've taken a screenshot of it and uh, and I'm going to include it in our internal training of how it's a lazy spam email. You know, something like that. And I cannot defend it because he was absolutely right based on 
his profile. So he was a, uh, a software as a service or a, a telecoms and software as a service global organization, you know, very, very highly sophisticated in their outbound prospecting mm-hmm. because most of these type of processes start in, in technology. You know, that tends to be where most of the innovations come in right. prospecting and then permeates out. So his sales team had been trained and are being trained in to do uh, some of the type of emails I'll t- talk about in a minute. We or named account or um, basho emails. Um, so to him, this did look like spam, you know, because there was no reference. And what he said was, you know, there was no reference to me, no reference to my company. Mm. And then when I did a LinkedIn, I had a look at him, you know, uh, he was there as sort of a, an interim sales uh, training uh, director globally, but prior to that, uh, he was uh, a training uh, a training consultant in outbound prospecting techniques. You know, so it's like probably a bit so, more sophisticated than most. <laughs> exactly, so very much more sophisticated than most. So you know, it, 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 the blame firmly sits with me there. You know, but my my outbound SDR person should never have, have called or mass emailed him in the first place. Uh, you know, and that's the and that's the thing. You know, you have to. Ban- it's sometimes it's easy to do. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that you should do it. Okay. Um, so the next one, so if you kind of think of that, this pyramid of we've got of three levels, the next one is that we call named accounts. So named account, and I think we're uh, from reading uh, your uh, your information that we're kind of in agreement there. That named account is where you you profile say a hot one hundred, mm. uh, and these are the. the the, the target companies, if you bring a significant amount of those on, these are the ones you're really going to focus in. These are going to be your top 20 percentile uh, style of businesses that are going to make a big impact in your in, in your business. Um, so with those, they need really targeted research-based emails. So you're targeting uh, one or more of senior people in a company. Uh, and that's a, another thing about cold outreach is it allows you to, to to make direct contact with more than one person quite quite quickly and quite easily. So in, in, instead of doing traditional telesales where you spend an hour, two hours trying to uh, get around the gatekeeper, ring the sales department to try and find out who's responsible and you're looking for that one person, uh, an outreach cold email-based program uh, allows you to send uh, a, a tailored email to maybe five senior people in an organization Mm. Uh, and when we do that with a highly relevant email, uh, and that's the thing with named account style emails, you know, they should be written um, with something specific about that business or about that industry or the research that you've done about them. Uh, and a phraseology that was created, again, you know, cold emailing has been around for a while. It's in the tech circles, it's what's called a basho email. Uh, and the reason for that is a, a training company in the States that w- was doing this kind of 10 years ago, um, how to outreach to CXO levels within tech companies. Uh, and basho, I believe, is a Japanese phrase associated with sumo wrestling. Right. Uh, uh, but essentially, it, what you have to address there is why you, why now, or why you, why you now. So why are you reaching out to this mm-hmm. individual now? So in the instance where I've just given that, you know, where I made a, a tremendous mistake, uh, if we'd approach this, uh, and he really should have been a named account. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if he was a named account, I probably wouldn't have targeted him because I would have identified his, you know, his previous training. But you would have written an email very, very specifically around why you, why are you engaging now? 
It could be something that's happening in the industry, something that you've done with other people, something that you've noticed about the account. But it's it's a way of reaching out to companies that you want to reach out to now, but it has to be very, very specifically around uh, that type of business. So it's a step up from the from the mass in that you you are tailoring it to each individual you know not not necessarily doing you know massive amounts of tailoring but you are thinking on an individual basis for the the account and the individual what what's the logical reason for me sending this this email to them and what's going to increase my chances of getting a response if they if they read it rather than just going for the numbers game and blasting out a whole load the same yeah yeah spot on this is about response rates if you get this right we've seen response rates sort of 40 40 50 percent um but it does have to have a, a level of work. So, yes, you can use templates, but you have to do some research into that company and you have to make it specific, even to the extent, again, you know, dependent on who you're dealing with. You know, uh, I'm sure you've come across this. You know, there's a lot of research about uh, verbiage and uh, wording specific to people in corporate environments. Uh, and Marketing Sherpa did a, a massive study and, and created a, quite a, a, sort of a significant investment in this research piece that said, you know, if you're targeting to a CFO, these are the type of words that you can use in your email. Uh, if you're targeting to a CMO, Chief Marketing Officer, then maybe these are the type of words. This is what they're worried about. This is some of their concerns. So you can even break a named account down that if you're targeting a certain industry or a certain um, a, a company and you're reaching out to this Chief Marketing Officer, the, the, the CTO, the Chief Technology Officer, maybe the, um, the Global Director of Sales, you can tailor each templated email within uh, their job specific role and then you layer on top of that based on you know no more than five to ten minutes research should be enough but to make those connections with why you're contacting them now relevant to their business so it doesn't feel to them in that case that you're just sending this out to everyone in the hope that someone will respond it looks like which is true that you've actually done some work to think why would this be a good fit for them right now yeah, absolutely. And, and again, it's trade-off between uh, level of investment in time of outreach versus the potential results. So, you know, if you know that there's a potential organization that's on your named account list and you're a consultant uh, and your average consulting uh, value is 50K per deal, then you have to do this level of work. You know, you have to show that you stand uh, head and shoulders above everyone else in the way that you're approaching people mm. and what you're doing. But it's not a pitch either, you know, and that's the difference that I see. You know, it's not a pitching email where you've got um, a three-page email saying, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely certain I could reduce your operational expenditures by 27.5% either. Um, in, much, in many of the cases, it's more personal to the person than it is actually to the business. And it's just about making that first connection and getting a follow-up. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because you're not looking to make a sale, mm. you're looking for a connection. So you're, you're looking, looking for enough curiosity or interest or connection there that, that they'll be willing to speak to you. That's right, yeah. yeah. And this is the thing that, uh, that many people make the mistake on, whether it's within traditional telesales or cold calling or, or even cold emailing. You, know, you have to define what your purpose is, uh, and it's not to sell. You know, the email is not to sell. It's for generally one specific response, and that can be to get them to reply so that you can ring them or to send you a calendar invite or to agree to take a call. You know, but there's only generally one, and that's to get into a human-centric conversation. Right. So that's, le- that's kind of like level two. And the, for, for those on the Selling to Corporates course, these kind of map over to the, the client pyramid where 
um, at, the, at, the, at the bottom level, um, it's the kind of the general, they fit the client profile, but you don't know and you're not. I, I've said in the selling the corporate course, typically we just wait for those to come in inbound or you might do presentations and that might generate it there. But that's kind of mass. You don't know who they are in advance. The, the people in the middle are the, the Dream 100. I know you know Chet Holmes as well and his work yeah. on the Dream 100 thing. And Chet did it all via kind of direct mail back in the day. But it's yeah. a similar approach here. You're doing a bit of tailoring f- with an offer to get to get people to, to, to kind of speak on the phone to, to, to make an initial connection. So you've got another another one on top of your, of your, of your triangle, your pyramid? Absolutely. So uh, the one on top is, I call it uh, trigger event selling. It's a, a phrase that's been sort of trademarked by a, uh, uh, someone I think we both know uh, in, in common as well, so Craig uh, yeah, Elias. Right, yeah. um, uh, and it, again, it's a concept that, uh, that has been around for a long time in sales, but it's it's it's... When you have identified, say, your uh, your Dream 100, sometimes there may be a reason why you can't outreach to them or they're non-responsive. Uh, but what in any style of business, there is always something that generally precedes your engagement or something that will change in a business that makes it a more viable opportunity for you to be engaged with that business. Um, you know, some very easy ones for people to, to kind of remember. And it's kind of the traditional ones that people think of is, you know, a, a new person coming into an organization. So for me, sort of a new VP of sales coming into an organization is a good opportunity to engage with that company. A couple of reasons. One, uh, if they've come into that company, it could be, it's not always, but it could be that the previous person wasn't doing a very good job. Um, or it could have been that they've done a fantastic job, but now it's time for change and they've moved on. Um, the, se- the person that's come in uh, has to, you know, is under pressure to to do something big in a short space of time hmm. make uh make a mark that's right uh, and generally one of the things that they do with there is you know it's about you know putting a, a clean sweep through and and changing and change for change sake not necessarily even if it's needed but you know that's one of those things uh, and and the other big thing is they have no emotional investment into any previous ways mm-hmm. of doing things uh, and that's a, a challenge with with selling change or selling different services that get corporates to change is many of the people that you're selling to had a hand in bringing that service in or bringing that process in in the first place uh, so it's managing that emotional kind of tie-in that you know they decided to do it in the first place and now you're going to come in and say okay well actually you made a bad decision there or you've made a decision and it hasn't worked out where new people come into a business you don't have to deal with that uh, so much of that emotional mm. kind of investiture in in previous decisions um, so that's one. And, and, and other ones can be things like, you know, an inward investment, a new product launch, moving into a new manufacturing facility, open up in a new country. Um, and these are the traditional ones that people tend to think of. But then there, there's so many more. Mm. Um, and what, what that is, is, is very uh, specifically monitoring for these types of trigger events and having proven templates that can respond to those that you have to tweak. You have to make them absolutely relevant to the trigger event that has just started but using that as a reason to engage now so that's really when you're at the top of the funnel with the why you why now process and and when this is done right we see about 80 percent response rate because you hit it just at the right time when they are at their most receptive 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I can give you an example from me personally that's just happened in the in the last couple of weeks. So one of my sort of named accounts, if you like, um, I was uh, running some LinkedIn ads for myself, and I noticed that one of my named account, who is a, a, a SaaS company, a software as a service company, was promoting. Uh, a, a download of a, a, an ebook that was written by an American-based uh, kind of thought leader in this type of area as well. Mm. Um, so I outreached or I cold emailed four different people in that business. Uh, so I researched them using my methodology. I outreached to them. The trigger event was that I noticed that you're, um, you're marketing here in, on LinkedIn and everywhere I look, and here's a link to one of your landing pages. Uh, and then I you know, followed on with that. Um, so that's led within about 20 minutes. I had uh, three emails back referencing the fact that um, I hadn't contacted one person who was actually in charge of global sales. Um, I also had then a, a reply back from the marketing department, uh, and, and that was probably, I guess, about three weeks ago. So since then, I've got a proposal out to do consulting and training with their sales team, but I've also uh, physically signed, and I had a meeting with them yesterday, um, about doing a, a, a content provider for them. So I, I've, I've signed a, a contract to write content specifically mm. for them that they're going to heavily promote um, as their lead gen pieces, you know. So again, that was a, a very, very good example of a, a sort of a trigger of a, a trigger event based outreach program that had, you know, for me, brilliant returns within a very, very short space of time. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, and I, I know from uh, from speaking to Craig, we'd, uh, we had a little beer in in London a little while ago, and I, <laughs> he did say that actually. Yeah. <laughs> I did excellent. <laughs> I think that's all we did. Though. I don't think we talked talk business. We just had beer. <laughs> but um, the uh, you know, that, that that you know, if you hit the trigger events right, there's 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 this kind of fine line, I think, between trigger events and ambulance chasing. It depends on the on the sector, doesn't it? But if it's yeah. something we noticed, you've had an accident. <laughs> Would you like <laughs> to make a legal claim? Not you know, and perhaps might not go down so well. But exactly yeah. as you were saying there, um, if you get it right. And it's and the, in, in your case, those guys were looking into cold emailing and, and those sort of things. So obviously they were open and they were, they were thinking about it and it was on their agenda. So yeah. a great time. And also not just a great time, but it's a, it's a bit like a, it's a conversation starter, really. It's a bit like when you're face-to-face with people. You just need something to start the conversation with and get things going. Otherwise, it's all a bit awkward. Um, it's why sometimes people, uh, I happen to know, not, not for personal reasons, but I did the, did the research on this, on the kind of dating scene, for example, there's a strategy called peacocking, which yeah. is you wear some, something unusual. And so people can comment on it, and there's an easy way of beginning a conversation. I often advise people on their LinkedIn profile just to put something unusual and personal on there. So it gives people an easy way of saying, oh, I noticed on your profile you support Newcastle United. Commiserations. You've had a really bad season or whatever. Um, and in this case, you, you're, 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 you're taking advantage of that. It gives you a, just something to start the conversation with and get them going that's relevant and interesting for them. Yeah, I, 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 before we move on to onto the serious business, was that one of those instances of you researching it for a friend? There, you know? oh yes, I was. <laughs> I have to say that was that was. I'd had recommended seriously. I had recommended it to the book The Game by Neil Strauss. Which yeah, about, which you've probably heard of because there are lots of marketing lessons in there. But I was so frightened to bring it home. I didn't want to bring it home and have my wife see it, <laughs> Kathy see it. So I read the, pretty much the entire book sitting um, or standing in the bookshop, <laughs> just, just stood there for an hour, paging through the book because I didn't want to bring it home. 
Doom. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> but, so, uh, yeah, uh, but I've read it as well, actually, so I can't say anything. But you're absolutely right, and that's, that's it. And even with a named account, you, know, you sort of said your, what you put on your LinkedIn profile, and that's, uh, you know, there is a, a, it's quite well known in, in sort of my arena. There's another training company that has this concept called 3x3, three three, which is uh, finding out within three minutes three bits of information that when you outreach you can use in your telephone. Mm. Uh, and it's a company called Foresight Training. You know, they're, you know, they're very, very good at what they do. Um, and it's the three by three. And then you record those in your CRM system. Uh, you know, but that can be from their Twitter profile. That can be from their LinkedIn profile. That can be. Um, so even when you're doing this kind of named account, which is the one below trigger, mm. where you're outreaching to an organisation you want to be getting, you know, there's nothing that says you can't put personality in there. You know, it's like um, putting a PS at the end of it. You know, saying, you know, um, how was, uh, you know, how was Nando's last night? If that's what they've just mentioned in their Twitter profile or, you know, or whatever it is, or if they've been to the opera or, you know, and that's the kind of the human centre because you cannot template that. Mm. that. You know, that immediately shows to someone that, hey, you know, I've done a little bit of research into you. It's, you know, the why me, why now approach. It's all about ramping up the response rate because I guess the difference between between both the named and the, and the trigger side and the mass at the bottom is that the mass at the bottom, you're really just hitting large numbers and, and with with your template, you get a certain response rate. That's great. But um, and there are large numbers of them. There's almost an infinite supply of mass accounts. But with the with the named accounts, there's a smaller number of them. So um, you know, if you, if if you could just with a little bit more work and a little bit more research, ramp up your response rate by a few percent, it's well worth doing because the rewards at the end of the day. Um, because clearly this is not something you're doing to tiny little businesses that are going to uh, um, the, the, the projects and the work you get with them is going to be small this is um, when you're going to be winning big projects as you just said there the, you know, the consultants winning an average of 50k projects or, or whatever that's worth spend, certainly worth spending a few minutes doing some extra research on that individual person and the, and the company and their needs to make your email that bit more relevant to get a higher response from them yeah, spot on. Uh, and to put that in perspective, we're kind of tracking around about 10% response at mass, around about sort of 30 to 50 at named account, uh, and up to 80% on trigger events. Yeah, when you just hit everything perfect. Yeah, and, and when I say response or, or engagement, you know, with Trigger, it's it's into a company. I tend to look at, you know, about 80% into a company because you've targeted with, with Trigger and, and named account. We generally target, say, three to five people in a right. company rather than just one. So it's one. not an 80% per person, but out of the three to five, um, 80% of the time, at least one of them will, will, will get into a meeting with you or, get, get, you know, respond in some way. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just one, one thought at this stage, Peter. Obviously, if people are listening, they're thinking, "Okay, this this gets good results, and uh, you know, it, it seems kind of a doable thing." But what about stuff like anti-spam legislation? Um, what are the kind of things you have to take into account to make sure you're not, and uh, to some degree, as, as you demonstrated earlier with your example, spam is in the eye of the beholder. Yes. Um, and even though you're sending something with good intent and you don't want it to be spam, it could be seen as spam, and you just kind of have to live with that. But how do you make sure you absolutely are complying with legislation and things like that so you're not, you're not kind of spamming people? Okay, it's a good question. I must state from right from the outset, you know, I'm not a, a legal advisor here, um, and people, if they are going to do this, need to 
do a little bit of research and I've got links in some of my content to research and, and different countries have different laws as well. For example, Canada have just put some really quite restrictive yeah. uh, uh, rules in place. However, sort of in, uh, in, in Europe, certainly that some of the things that this doesn't count as spam as long as you uh, abide to a certain uh, number of rules. So firstly, that you have to not have misleading titles, but then that's good practice about what we do anyway. Um, you know, it has to have congruency throughout. So the title must match the the message, and it must match you know what you're looking for and what your business does. Um, you have to have a full postal address or a full contact address within the content of your email. Mm. Uh, and you have to give someone a, a quick and easy way of unsubscribing. So if that's a reply, you know, something at the, the bottom that says, you know, reply and we will immediately unsubscribe you. Um, or if that's, a, you know, a link to click and they can do that. Um, but you have to give people that option. Uh, and you also, it's good practice to mention why you're reaching out to them, where you found them, and, and why you're reaching out to them. Right. Uh, so that could be something, you know, uh, it, it, you could put in a template, you know, we, we did some research to see one of the standard ones that I use with clients here is, you know, uh, in, in, because you have to, even in your email signature, we, we get clients to change their email signature because you don't all the, the, uh, the, the, the Twitter, the Facebook yeah, icon, the LinkedIn, Twitter, yeah, yeah, you know, you get rid of all that because you're doing an outreach program. Hmm. Um, so if there is any link in there, we, we design that specifically and we can talk if we have time to talk about that, about integrating inbound and, and outbound. Um, but for this, you know, and get rid of the, um, you know, most, you know, especially big management consultants, they'll probably have a, a 20 line uh, right. rider at the bottom about security and if you receive this in error and you know that's the first thing you ditch you get rid of that straight away and what you do is you replace that with um, something along the lines of we reached out to you because we thought they may you know doing our research we thought there might be a fit between some of your business goals and our and our expertise mm. um, you know if we did this in error you know we were really apologetic we shouldn't you know we didn't mean any anything wrong with that uh, and you know if you reply and just saying uh, unsubscribe we'll take you off the email list and we'll, we'll never bother you again mm. Uh, and I've seen very, very little uh, spam responses, if you like. So one of the services that we use, if you get three spam complaints, so we, I, I use a, a service called Tout App, mm. uh, which manages outbound emailing. So uh, when we've done this with clients, if one account, i.e. a, a client's account, gets three spam complaints, because it puts, uh, no matter what you do with your email, you cannot stop it. Once it's sent, they add their kind of their little rider at the bottom says mm. you markers of spam. Um, once an account has three spam complaints, they flag your account. Right. Um, uh, and I've only ever had one client that was flagged because they had about five, and that was a really, really strange target marketplace. Right. Uh, we might type sensitive. Well, in, in fact, you know, it wasn't a, a sort of a traditional business. They were. Um, I don't. There's. A, I guess there's no easy way. But wide boys is the the way, The only way I can describe it in a very short space of time they were businesses um but they were kind of selling on the internet they'd grown from an internet arena rather than business so you know they all had kind of yahoo emails and gmail emails all ah, right the actual yeah. cl- clients themselves the actual clients themselves right. no not the clients sorry the intended prospect yeah that's what i mean yeah so the, inten- yes. the intended clients not the people you were working with but the people they were in that's for, right yeah were, so they were, were a bit weird Oh, yeah, so they were a bit strange. So, you know, traditional businesses don't tend to see this as an issue. Right. And, you know, uh, and often because you are tailoring the individual email, 
firstly, it's not seen as spam because it doesn't feel like a temp, you know, just the same thing being sent out to everyone because it mentions something about you or your business or what's going on. Um, and also, the you know, the reason that that thing in the legislation about you must mention that, you know, um, the the reason for 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 the for the email, you may well even mention that in the email itself. So you know, I spotted on LinkedIn that you'd done this, or I noticed you're kind of hooking into that reason in your reason for emailing anyway. In many cases, yeah, absolutely. And you know, so if you're sending out ten a day or twenty a day, and they're all very very specific, then people do not see that as spam because you know it's not spam. It's a it's a very direct business uh, the only one that could potentially get you in, in in i wouldn't say danger but could be seen as potential spam is mass mm. uh, you know where you could be sending out quite quite easily 15 to 2000 sorry 1500 to 2000 emails a month um, and that's how much one person can manage and then if you're doing that you know you've really got to you know um, think about the process about the messaging about you know who what level in that business you're sending it to mm. so you don't kind of come across that way because you is he just? Uh, I think I said it before. My principle, you know, and I'm learning myself, you know, and I still make mistakes. Just because it's easy doesn't mean you should do it. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think in the case of the, the uh, if you were th- contemplating a mass campaign for people listening to the to, to this um, audio, they probably wouldn't be doing that themselves. Um, all that sending, they, they they they'd get people in like like your company, etc., to uh, to do that kind of campaign for them. Um, because you know, for for someone who's 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 most of their time is spent consulting or coaching or doing their service, sending thousands of emails a month is gonna is gonna kill them. Uh, <laughs> but so they they would be calling someone else in, and and obviously, what's one of the criteria to look for if you're calling a firm in to um, to do some emailing for you like this, some email prospecting? Make sure they do um, what Peter's company do, and that's it. That's you know, they get all this legislation side right, so that you're not putting yourself at risk. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, spot on. Okay, so um, something you mentioned earlier, uh, <laughs> you said we might come back to it, and I'm going to come back to it uh, because it's one of the things that's changed as a result of the technology is getting people's email addresses. Obviously, you can't cold email people if you don't know what their email addresses are. So how, yeah. what's your kind of rough process for that? Yeah, and this is one of the big enablers, actually, of why this is more prevalent than it was five years ago. So uh, so in the olden days, uh, in the olden days is literally 12 months ago, um, one of the ways that we used to do it was, you know, you'd have a, a sort of a, a ladder sequence. So the first thing, if you've identified someone, you know, you'd go to the website and you'd look at the About Us page. Uh, does that give the email address there? If not, you could make an educated stab in the dark, you know, first name dot last name. Uh, and then there were we started looking at there were systems that came out where um, you could type the first name and the last name and the company name into an Excel spreadsheet that uh, someone on the internet created, and it would generate say the top a hundred permutations of what that email could be. Okay, so first first letter dot thing at first name dot last name at second name, you know, all that sort of stuff would come out, would it? Yeah, that, exactly right. So the the one at the top of the Excel spreadsheet would be the one that's statistically most probable, and then they would go downwards. So worldwide, statistically most probable is first name dot last name at company name dot com, uh, and then they would go down. So what you could then do is a couple of things with that. One, you could take that to what's called a, a an email verification checker. Mm. 
So you could literally, one by one, go uh, to a service, and you would input the email address. They'd go away and check. I think they do it via DNS lookup, uh, just sort of a technical uh, term, as far as I'll go into that. Um, but it'll come back and say, you know, with a reasonable uh, prediction of success that we think this email address is actually live. Uh, and then if it wasn't, you'd go to the next one and you you put that in. Uh, and then there were other ways. There was a, a Gmail plugin called Reportive, mm. uh, which sort of most techie-style businesses use. And what that does, it sits within Gmail. Uh, and when you get an inbound email from someone, uh, it kind of sits somewhere on the right-hand side, and it goes away and looks at that email address and finds the um, uh, the the picture of them from social accounts, so LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and different places. So, so the reverse way of doing that is if you make an educated guess at what their email address is, you put it into the two fields, and then click out the two fields, um, it would go away and see if you could find that person if it comes back with a picture you've got it if it doesn't you probably haven't yeah so if you're in the if you're looking for richard branson and you kind of richard.branson at virgin.com and it came back with his picture you know you were spot on that you got the email address um, uh, so that was kind of the one way of doing it, a couple of different sort of manual ways. And then there's services. Obviously, there are services like data.com, which is a kind of a, a mass emailing data service, which lives inside uh, salesforce.com. Mm. CRM and is owned by them and there's Jigsaw and you know there's traditional list buying services as well uh, we don't uh, personally I'm not a big fan of you know buying massive email lists uh, even data.com we've seen bounce rates of sort of 30 40 yeah, percent um, uh, especially so if you especially if you're aiming at those to those kind of named accounts etc you know if you if you're looking at mass you've probably got no choice because you're not going to sit for yeah you know, for for ten hours a day, but 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 for the named ones, again, it's worth that extra investment to try and get it right. Yeah, absolutely. So my favourite one of choice at the moment is is a service called Sales Loft. So uh, I'm not quite sure if you've come across this one yourself, Ian. Uh, but SalesLoft.com is again, it's a software as a service, and it's an application that sits on top of LinkedIn. But it doesn't pull any data from LinkedIn, i.e. email addresses or anything of that nature. So what that allows you to do is build your list via the uh, the detailed search capability of LinkedIn. So uh, operations directors of companies with uh, 500 plus employees that are in London. So you can build that list. And what sales for what um, sales loft does? It sits on top of there. And it pulls the information that you can get from their profile. So you've got their first name, you've got their last name, you've got their company name. So what it does, it takes that information, it essentially does what we used to do a year ago, is it will go away and create that list of email permutations automatically for you. It will go away and check all of them until it finds the one that it thinks is the most statistically relevant of what their email address is. So it, it, it takes all that manual research and it does that in a kind of a, a flip of a switch automatically. And it, it, it has a couple of other features as well, the way that it does it. And, you know, it does go out and look on social profiles. So it doesn't come back with the email address that's within that LinkedIn profile. 
because most people will use their personal profile, uh, sorry, a personal email address for that. Um, you know, because most people, if if they leave work or they don't want, you know, if they're looking for recruiters to contact them, you know, they don't want to put their their business, their worker email address in LinkedIn. So they generally use a, a personal one, and you don't want to be outreaching to personal email addresses. So Salesloft is, uh, I think, uh, it's about three hundred dollars for eight hundred email credits in a month. But the time it saves you is absolutely phenomenal. Mm. And the other way that you can do it is is you can actually put your named account list in there. So if you have your Hot 100, you can upload those names or put those manually put those names in, link it to their, their LinkedIn company profile, and then you can say, okay, well, I want the IT director from within this list of 100 companies. Can you show me the IT director, the operations director, and the finance director? And those are the three ones that you want to see. And it will pull up all of those, um, and then you can decide which ones you want and build your list that way. It's almost like magic. It is. It, you know, it, it's amazing. It's you know, for a software as a service, three hundred dollars a month. That's that's a, a brilliant way of doing it. And to be honest, uh, for for a lot of people listening who are in kind of smaller smaller um, firms or, 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 or work for themselves, eight hundred names is all they need initially. <laughs> yeah, that's it. One month, one month, and you've built it. Yeah, yeah. you've, you've one, built. One, if you can get those email addresses, so it's yeah. uh, that that's incredible value because it would take you many many hours you know having having done some of that stuff myself historically <laughs> yes. uh, played around with reportive i did actually try and find richard branson's email address from reportive it couldn't get it to work but <laughs> surprise not surprisingly branson doesn't um, because it kind of searches all the publicly available information doesn't it or something to try and take a guess so uh, yeah absolutely. Um, anyway so so sales loft is your recommendation so that's, that, that's that's one of the lovely things of the of, of the, the way the technology is developing it's just possible to do stuff you couldn't do previously Oh, God. I'll, I'll tell you one now as well that uh, could blow the minds of some of your uh, your your clients listening to this audio. Um, so a, a service that I've been playing with recently and, and research is called – well, there's two. There's one called Built With and one called Date, Datanize. Um, so essentially what they do is they scour the internet and they will tell you what software – or what plugins uh, different websites are using, i.e. What, what companies are using. Mm. So, for example, for me, if my target clientele are using Salesforce, which tends to be one of my ideal client profile criteria, Salesforce has what's called a web-to-lead plugin. So uh, you can put a, a lead capture page on your website using a code that Salesforce gives you. So that's a big indicator that any website that has the Salesforce web to lead code on is using Salesforce. Right. So what that does, this, these services, they go out and scour the Internet uh, and they'll find websites with the, all of their codes on and they'll come back and you can build a list based on that. So built with is, is is much bigger. So it's aimed at you know their entry level allows you two technologies, but you can get kind of twenty thousand companies a month. Right. So it's not, not necessarily targeted to our style of, of way of working, but it, you know it's it's tech companies mm. uh, mainly that you know they're targeting. You know, so they want to target someone that's using Crazy Egg, for example. You know, a, a, an analytics program. So if there's another software company that's come out that's doing something similar, or they do something either before or after Crazy Egg, you can easy way of doing it. You know, you can pay a month's of service to this, and you build a list of every company in in the world that's using Crazy Egg. Um, but the other one that's a little bit better, I think, for us is, is one called Datanize, 
Um, I hate the name, but it's a brilliant service. Um, so that one is pretty much unlimited technologies. So say, I was trying to think of how can I explain this to how some of our kind of target would, would use it. So say you were a HR consultant mm-hmm. that did a massive change program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by analyzing who your best clients were, you knew that uh, one of the trigger events was that they started implementing a certain software piece. Maybe. Absolutely, no, absolutely happens. I mean, it's been a long time since I've worked in that, in that kind of area, but I remember they the often did, even though in theory you know, the, the system should trail the, the transformation. Often the implementation of SAP HR or PeopleSoft or whatever would trigger people to start thinking about, actually, since we're going to all the effort of putting this uh, this new system in, maybe we ought to get our HR processes right before we put the system in. So it yeah. would trigger, even though in theory, you know, the system, the, the technology shouldn't be leading things. It often does happen. Yeah, uh, and that's the thing. It's working with everything. There's always a way. I think there's always a way. Mm, um, correlations and things, as you said. So, so with this service, what you can do is, one, uh, you can, uh, as soon as you join, you can build a list of every company in the UK that's using that type of software mm-hmm. or similar softwares. And then what it also does is any new company using that software, it will alert you immediately. So if they're searching, you know, maybe every day, every two days that's analyzing that website, if they've now added that service onto the website, you'll get a trigger alert. So maybe daily or weekly or monthly, you'll get a, a, you know an indication of new companies taking up that service. So they're you know high value trigger events, and, and again, you know, it takes a little bit of uh, knowing how to apply this into your industry um, and how you can work this. But you know, so if you're a Marketo consultant and you've just found out a company's using Marketo, if you're a like say an SAP and you you can find list of people using SAP that way. Um, so again, so. I, I, to try and analyze and give you an example of maybe how people could read. So one of the trigger events we didn't talk about that you know, I've been looking a lot at recently is services that do what's called a reverse IP lookup. So uh, a lot of websites um, are buying into these services. There's two main ones. One's called in the UK, one's called Lead Forensics, one's called A1 Web Stats. Uh, ah, so this is if someone visits your website or puts an inquiry for all that sort of stuff, trying to figure out who they are. Yeah, exactly. Right, so what yeah. they do is, by, by nature of their IP address, they identify who's visited your website. Mm-hmm. And the business ethos behind that or the business rationale is not everyone who comes on your website has inquired. So what you're doing, you might be missing out on 80% of the visitors because they haven't taken an action. Mm. So their business ethos is, okay, so if you put this code on your website, we'll track every interaction, and then you've got a dashboard. You can log in, and by their IP address, we'll tell you who the company is. We'll tell you what page they visited. And, you know, so everything you can get from the marketing automation, once they've given you permission, you're front-ending that, and they're doing that via reverse IP lookup. Mm. So for me... I know that most people who use that service don't know what to do with it. Yeah, that's right. So I know the company that uh, that, that checked my website. What am I going to do next? <laughs> yeah, so most people who kind of leave it to the telesales person and they might ring up and say, oh, you know, I wonder who's responsible for marketing there? Who's responsible for looking at your XYZ consulting? So they don't know who to target. So I've got a process that I've now built around that, um, you know, because that's what I do. So, so I can approach those companies and say, you know, I know you've got... 
um, I know you're using lead forensic. You know, based on the companies I've spoken to, the big challenge is re- uh, maximizing the return that you get from that because you can identify the people, but you then don't know what to do. So you maybe would call call them and you're not getting anywhere. So I've designed a process. So once you've identified the companies, I can show you a service whereby you can... Uh, you can profile and get the direct email addresses of the senior people within two minutes. I've got an email template written that you can send to all of those senior people, and you know, and here's how you track the responses. So for me, coming back to Datanize, I could build a list within the first month of every company in the UK that's using uh, Lead Forensics. And then if I continue the subscription, I can have a drip feed of companies every month that have just installed Lead Forensics. So it's trying to work out for your clients, you know, how can you use this type of information um, to to create an instant list and ongoing drips of people that are going to have that target, that target trigger. What I like there, Peter, actually, is you, you've put effort into that in terms of your, your tailoring. You've seen the kind of opportunity. Oh, there's some information there that could be useful. How could I take advantage of it? And then you've actually tailored your service so ra- rather than just uh, the obvious ones are, you know, someone installs SAP, I'm an SAP consultant. Actually, that's probably too late. Um, but in your case, you've kind of gone, someone's installed um, Lead Forensics. Ah, so why don't I cr- take what I'm already doing and kind of package it up as a follow-on process from, from for people with Lead Forensics? The HR example you gave of someone implementing a, a new HR system, um, you know, if, if you check into your, your history as an HR consultant and you figured out that actually three or four times – I've gone in and done some some HR process upgrades and things, and it has been after they've Im- implemented a, a new ERP or a new a new HR system. So why don't I package that up into something I can do more regularly and promote it as a as, as a as a specific service? And the targets for that service would be people who've just installed um, a, a, a new HR system because I can find out what that is. So it just takes a little bit of creative thought, I think. Um, to although initially okay I know they have HR the new system but what does that mean to me but if you just think about it a bit creatively and look for those situations where what you do relates to that it may not be all the time but it's enough and since you know it's definitely the case and you know you've got a warm prospect there basically who's doing something and you know that loads of the time when they do X they need Y then it's worth putting the extra effort into packaging something up around that yeah, I, I totally agree. And I know you're very good at, uh, uh, and we think very similar about ideal client profiles and identifying what it is that brings people into you and what's preceded your engagement. Mm-hmm. So all of that is exactly right. You know, even if it's, um, if you know that, you know, companies are growing a, a size that generally means when they take on a piece of software or they take on a service, that that is an indicator that about six months later that they're about the right size for your engagement. Um, you know, that's something. And the other thing is, it does as well is um, even if you have a software service or you have something and there is a or if you're, you do it as a traditional style business but someone else is doing it as a as a software as a service rather than a consulting pro- project someone else might be doing it as software as a service maybe um, you can get a real time alert when they take a, a lot of software service companies a lot of tech companies will do a 30 day free trial mm. um, so you can get a trigger immediately that someone's taken a free trial of your 30-day, your competitor's 30-day free trial. So what that means is, you know, you wouldn't build a a three-month outreach program. You know they're just trialing one of your biggest competitors. Therefore, you've got 
a 10-day window, really, to, to reach out to them and really, you know, do as much as you can in 10, 15 days to, to stop them using your competitor and showing why your service is the best service. Mm. And it's, it's, it's interesting, as we talk about these things, there's a, on the one hand, you can think, oh, gosh, this seems like quite a lot of work and effort, etc. But in many ways, that's really good because this is the stuff your competitors are not doing. You know, if it was uh, all the easy and obvious stuff of it's now public information that company X is um, doing a big change program or company Y um, needs a new website or whatever, that means all your competitors get immediate visibility of that as well. If you're looking at things like this where you're trying to catch what's happening a bit earlier or you're finding out names of people, and we've got onto this by talking about finding out emails, Um, if you're finding emails that other people aren't finding because they're not so immediately obvious, but it takes you a bit more effort to do it, you know that, that, that little bit more effort can make a big difference in your results because you're the only one doing it. Yeah, and the the perception is it's hard to do these things, and maybe ten. You know, I can remember when I said a fair a while ago. I said, I'm not quite sure if you're going to link the audio to a picture, but I've got a fair few grey hairs now. But yeah, um, when I was telling selling telecoms, yeah, I I, I spent a, a whole week once ringing my named accounts and asking for their financial documents, mm. i.e., you know, their company uh, financial <laughs> documents that were posted to me. You know, and it's like, uh, but I was the only one that took the time in my industry to do that, so I had all of their regional yeah. offices. You know, there was no internet web, web or, you know, it was just starting off. There's no email so much. So, you know, and that little bit of work set me up for the year, really. Um, but the, cha- the the thing is, a lot of your 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 listeners might be listening to this now, thinking, "God, oh, that's going to take a huge amount of work." The reality is, it doesn't. Um, and I can even show show your your listeners how to outsource this quite quickly. So, if you think about it, so something like Datanize or, or one of the other services, um, you can build your list quite quickly. Or Sales Loft. You know, I'm not for any stretch of the imagination saying that uh, uh, a consultant that's charging themselves out at a thousand pound a day necessarily needs to be doing that. Mm. Because you know, once you've set up your your say something like Datanize, uh, once you've set up the alerts that every time it finds a new piece of software, that can be fed anywhere. What then happens is you've almost got a pre-written email template uh, that might need to be tailored a little bit doesn't have to be the consultant doing that um, and then where you need to kind of get engaged then is when they reply um, so you know I've, I've taught people how to do that via traditional outsourcing services like Odesk um, you know you get a reasonably a very well educated say Filipino outsourcer for five dollars an hour who can monitor all of these services far far better than you ever can mm. so job change alerts on LinkedIn um, new job uh, one of the things I search for is you know Google alerts for new uh, new jobs you know people who are, who, who are employing a certain category of person and then researching that company and sending out you know but it doesn't have to be a, a management consultant or a coach or a trainer on you know, X number of thousand pounds a day charge out. That can be someone, you know, either someone that you get from a graduate recruitment from your local sort of resource or, you know, an outsourced Filipino. Uh, and, and the quality of the outreach should be the same pretty much every time because once you've designed the process that says, here's where you go and look for the details and then here's the outbound emailing system and here's the template and here's you change A and B and press send and then that's you know a steady steady flow of outreach mm. 
And that, that's the key is do it yourself a few times first so you establish the process and the templates and then find someone who can do it more efficiently than you. Yes, uh, and that's exactly right. And, and I think, um, by the way that I talk, I hope you, you realise that, you know, um, while I'm very, very good at this and I'm a level of confidence, Christ, I still make mistakes and I'm not afraid to admit it. And yesterday was a big one for me and, and you learn and you have to do that. You have to learn and God, I've made others. Uh, it, um, it, but in many ways, you know, you know, I'm out there making those mistakes. So hopefully, um, you know, your 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 listeners aren't making as many mistakes. I don't as to I, make the same ones at least that I've made. Yes. <laughs> hey, do, Peter, we, we've talked about um, the technology and getting the emails, etc., and the situations this works in. Um, what are the contents of the email? Now, earlier you gave us a little template for the mass email, the referral email, um, and what that might look like. But I think you were you were saying the there isn't really a template once you get to your your named accounts and the trigger event related ones it, it, you have to write that email for each specific circumstance rather than you know being able to just pull it off the shelf but are there some kind of general guidelines for those emails you know are we talking short emails long emails what sort of things are you putting in there what would your call to action typically be in an email yeah, it, 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 it's one of those things, how long is a piece of string? Mm. Uh, but it, 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 say, take trigger events, for example. It, it is possible to create a seri- series of templates based on what your triggers are. Uh, one or two per trigger, yeah. That's right, as the starting point. So one of them could be someone has, uh, has done a, an interview. Uh, it's either a press release or an interview and uh, at that point they've said you know we're launching a new product it's critical to the growth of the company it's going to help us hit our revenue targets or they've commented about an industry so you can use that you know so the first line might be you know, um, uh, you know I read with interest your, uh, your your latest piece in linked to the magazine you know if it's an online it's great because you can physically put a, a link in as well which shows that you're you know you're not just sending an email it's, I've, I've read one of your latest articles Articles which said you're a, you know, you're, you're putting that direct linking in that says, hey, look, I've done some research, and then it's the why, why you why now, and there has to be a bridge. So here's the article where you've mentioned this as this, and I was really interested to see your perspective on that. You know, I think that's great. Um, why I think that is a link, and so sort of, so I would say you know, a couple of key concepts. When you're writing the emails, they have to be short. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to be visible on one screen of, a, of an iPhone, if you can make it that way. The shorter, the better. Uh, uh, um, kind of perversely, the higher up the chain within an organization, the shorter they should be. You know, and that most people flip that. They think I've got. It. I'm writing to the the CEO of a, a, a pan-European organisation with 40, 40 to eighty million pound turnover. I must write a really detailed email. Yeah, I really have to justify it, etc. Yeah. they've got no time. And the, and the the yeah. psychology is when I, when I receive a long detailed email with all sorts of reasons why I should do something, it's kind of overselling. You th- it feels like you're selling to someone if it's if it's a huge long email. Yes. Rather than a peer-to-peer level, hey, you know, saw this, this was a good reason why you should be interested in it, bang. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it is, and it's, it's that direct, direct relevance. So, so trigger event, uh, some templates, you know, I, I saw that you've made this comment, or I saw that you, read, uh, you, were, you were here, or I saw your new product arrangement here. Um, here's what I think that's relevant about it. Next paragraph, here's the bridge, you know, um, here's why I think there's a connection, why we should engage. And again, it's about language, you know, some of the language of the emails is, you know, it might be a good fit. Uh, I've reached out to you because, you know, is it worth engaging? 
engaging. It's not, you know, um, let's set up a, a, an appointment. You know. Actually, yeah, that, that's something important I've noticed in your emails, Peter. There's a couple of things in there. One is that the language is quite kind of open. Tentative is maybe not the right word, but you're certainly not pushy in the language, and you don't do any of the preemptive closing kind of i've put an appointment in my diary for tuesday at 10 p.m can you confirm sort of thing yeah so well my background is sales training and sales consulting before doing this so so i used to train uh senior people specifically in it and tech companies how to ring senior decision makers mm. um so you know so i've uh, and i've gone through training all my career where it was the always be closing it was always put at, at the end of the email if i do not hear back from you within four days i will call you Mm. You know, and it's just like, but that's um, you know, it's bullshit. Excuse my my language. You know, it's just like, um, you know, those days are, are gone. Yes, you have to be direct. You've got to be confident. You've got to be, um, but generally, what you're looking to do in this type of approach is to get a response or to get a referral to have a human centric approach. So if if the start of your contact is saying, look, you know, I'm going to do this, and if you haven't replied, I'm going to do this you know you're kind of coming off as pushy uh you don't you're not that interested in what they think about what they want to do either i'm going to do this to you anyway regardless of what you do yeah and that's it so it's it's more a human-centric approach it's a one-to-one connection and it is even when i used to sell strange so um uh, and i still use it you know i still train people how to pick up the phone just as much as as cold emailing as well um but one of the things is you know i'm not a big fan of that huge uh, generic value proposition elevator pitch uh, in the first you know 30 seconds mm. where you know brian tracing ziglar invented it years ago and it was great at the time but it was yeah so john if i could show you a way that you could re- reduce your operational expenditure by 27 and a half percent you'd be interested wouldn't you you know it's like oh god if you use that today you know you'd get the phone slammed down on that's you. right you've, you've heard it you've heard it so many times i, I must admit i found this is even back in the 90s actually i found that um the firm i was working for at the time the consulting firm we um, we did have a lot of cold outreach um, over the phone, and it was largely based on the the kind of targeting senior executives and focusing on the business case, um, because in those days n- nobody was doing it. Yeah. You know, we were talking about um, so so we've just we've just finished some work with a company where we've got a you know seventy eight percent return on investment and saved them so and so. Would you be interested in a meeting to talk about how we did that? Yeah, sure, I would, because they've, nobody's ever said that to them before. Yes. By the time they get the, I remember when I, I helped set up a firm. Gosh, it was about two thousand and six, and initially they started uh, using the same technique. And just the response was awful, partly because the firm was a bit more unknown. But, but you know, once you've heard that kind of approach a hundred times before, it's like, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, not again, because often the people can't deliver. You know, you're just yeah. wasting your time in a meeting. If Because if, if, everyone can say that. Everyone sort of suddenly adopted that. And initially, it was only the people who knew what they were doing who said that. And then eventually, everyone is just making up numbers and phoning and uh, trying to get a meeting. Oh, yeah, unless you make it very, very specific, then it, it's tough to do that. It's uh, you know, I, I, I still do outbound kind of warm calling. I call it mm. now. You, know, you could call me pedantic beats or not, but you know. So, um, uh, and one of those things is I use a concept called the bullseye approach. So you know, and it's it's based off a of one deal analysis. So you analyze the deals that you've won. You pick out all of the the pertinent information from that. You know, what was the what was the the trigger event that led them to engage with you? What were the results? What did you find? out and then you if ethical to do so you target their 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 competition 
if ethical to do so. You target their supplier chain, you target their supply chain that they supply into. Um, you know, but then, you know, the example I give to kind of keep it easy is you know, if you've just done a uh, a HR restructuring uh, program for Coke, and you have reduced their staff churn down from you know 35% down to 22%. Then the logical way is to ring Pepsi, mm. you know, get through to the HR director and say, uh, but it's about my language as well, you know, so I'm not pushy. So, so no, hi John, it's it's Peter. Um, I don't know how relevant this is for you. Uh, we've just completed a. a a project with Coke. We brought their staff churn down from 33% to 21%. Uh, we reckon it's on track to save them about half a million every six months for the next at least three years. How relevant is that for you at the moment? Uh, and that's how I do it in the tally cells, you know, kind of a warm calling environment. And I bring that down into my emails as well. Um, you know, it's a, how relevant is that for you? It's not a hard pitch. It's, you know, you're back into a conversation. Uh, and it's funny, so you see, I, one of the it's very easy and I'm sure your, your, your listeners might go away and start researching Google for cold emails um, I include in my trainings emails that I find from other people trying to teach this and I'm looking at it and I'm shaking my head thinking oh my god but it's off the back of yeah they've they're writing a blog article where they've pitched five VCs and they've got a meeting maybe. Yes. But that's a very, very small number um, and it's a very strange industry. It is a very different environment. That, I think I said right at the start, there's a lot of interest because people are pitching VCs yeah. or they're pitching other bloggers to feature their product and stuff like that. And the differences are, you know, other bloggers, etc., are always online. They're, they're, they're desperate for attention. <laughs> they're desperate yeah. for some, some something useful to put on their blog. Um, it is a different world to the corporate world, and you do have to use different language. Yeah, and I see the, you know, for me, a lot of this is, you know, it's it's sales best practice. It's a different way of taking sales best practice and approaching people professionally. So the things that don't work, that didn't ever work in tally sales, are still not going to work by taking that to email. Mm. So the, the mistakes that I see people make, and I'm sure uh, maybe some of your listeners may kind of fall into this trap. Uh, so I just want to make sure that they're aware of these. You know, so I've seen people uh, touting email templates around that you can use, starting off with, um, I'm sorry to bother you. You know, personally, I hate that. And it, it comes back to, you know, I've trained people how to pick up the phone and speak to senior decision makers. As soon as you start saying in that very first line, I'm sorry to bother you, um, you know, A, you're one, you're, you're putting an idea in their mind that they didn't have before that you're bothering them. And it's subservient language, you know, especially if you're dealing with CXOs of you know, higher level, you shouldn't be positioned as a subservient person targeting them. And as soon as you start off with, I'm sorry to bother you, you've positioned yourself as subservient. You've basically said, I am bothering you. One, because I've just put the idea in your mind. Two, I don't believe my email is worthy enough. Uh, and thirdly, I personally, I probably don't think I'm worthy enough. Um, you know, so all these bad habits, you know, uh, and again, you know, my big bugbear about tally sales with them badly is, you know, it's, a, it's the... the it, I don't. People learn these bad phrases by osmosis. You know, I'm not mm. quite sure where they get them from because uh, I, I don't believe everyone ever trains people in this. But it's you know, I'm sorry to bother you. I won't take five more than five minutes of your time. You know, it's like it's like a double whammy. I'm you know, unimportant. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to bother you, and I know you're a senior business person. I know you. The, the biggest thing that you're short of is time, and I'm going to take it away from you. And I'm really not convinced that I'm offering any value. And it's just like so. Your first five ten words are just saying hey you know just 
hang up on me, please. Yeah. And then you try and pitch them with an elevator. Pitch. But it's interesting, you don't go to the other extreme either. So I think a phrase, one, a phrase you used earlier was, I'm not sure if you're the right person or something like that. So it's a kind of, you're not, you're not also going the other one of positioning yourself above that person and kind of talking down to them. You're just being very open about it, as if you were talking to a peer. Hey, not sure if you're the right person, but bang, bang, bang. It's not saying, oh, I'm really sorry. I don't don't mean to bother you. I'm really looking for this person and, and kind of crouch. I'm crouching down as I say it, almost in a subservient <laughs> position there. Because yeah. you can't say that without feeling subservient. Yeah. Um, but you're also not, um, you know, being aggressive with it either. Uh, absolutely right. You can't be aggressive with this. You know, it, uh, uh, let me, you know, let me to state clear facts here you're doing a cold outreach program it's an interruptive process it just as much as tele sales was five ten years ago it is an interruptive process and we're doing everything within our power to turn an interruptive process to make sure it's tailored relevant and adds a huge amount of value as a reason to engage with the other person um so if you're going to be you know cocky blunt trying to put them as subservient you know trying to use some of the bad practices as kind of other styles of, of marketing online you know you're going to fail you know you have to be it's a, a professional business outreach mm. so you're you're you think te- you tend to keep it short one page on an i on an iphone um you are um, in terms of the language, you're keeping a professional and peer level type language. Um, you are making the if you if it's a, 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 a senior level one that you're doing to a named account, you're kind of either naming the trigger or something the, the you know the reason why why you why now um, and bridging to bridging from what what got your interest and what got you to email to what kind of what you have to offer them. But the offer is always about a, a further discussion. Yes. Uh, again, it, it, you have to look at your, you know, say, you know, your clients, your management consultants, or your coaches, your trainers, your, you know, your clientele, your listeners. What are you trying to achieve? And then this is where you have to apply a bit of intelligence to, um, because where are they with their business? Where are they with their marketing automation? Where are they? So generally, you want one call to action per email mm-hmm. and you so you could start off and this is something that I've done with clients as well so you go through a ladder so instead of emailing once you might email four or five times mm-hmm. uh, based on the concept of follow up you know you change the message slightly but keep it uh, you know reasonably similar so it's 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 consistent of the same message but with a different approach but what you might do is say, okay, so email number one, my call to action is I want them to respond. So it could be, could you point me in the right direction? Mm-hmm. Say, I want them to respond, email one. Number two, I want them to respond. Maybe number three, I might move to more a link to my marketing automation. So I might include a link to a white paper in number three. Mm. Again, I'm not saying it's mandatory in all time. You know, I've, I've run programs with four emails where it's always respond, respond, respond. Um, and we do still get a significant response on, on email number four. Um, you know, it's amazing. In fact, we, we tend to, on email number four, we really shake it up and we've got what we call the, the Batman email, um, which is, you know, we might see what how we're doing for time and i might explain that if if you think it's of interest um but but it's but there's always one predominant response but you know these emails aren't html written like a newsletter they're written as if they're coming from a one-to-one communication um and you want them to to respond is general however 
if it suits your business and there are reasons to do it, then you can include links to content so you can get them into your marketing automation. Mm. So if you're running something like Marketo or Pardot or HubSpot, um, you might say, okay, well, why don't we bring people into our inbound funnel as well and we can work the two and then you get added value from combining the two. Um, Especially if it's on kind of email three or four where it feels like they're not going to respond personally. Yes. Um, maybe the, the fallback then becomes, well, if they're not going to speak to me personally, maybe they'll be interested in my white paper. So you're just trying out a different, some, some kind of different options. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like everything. You know, I know you're a massive proponent of testing and measuring. Uh, and I just saw some of your, your, your videos about the testing that you do on your blog. And it's exactly the same thing. You know, we test and measure this. You know, what's working for us? So, you know, certainly when we're at the mass level, we're testing email subject headlines, content, calls to action, you know, data sources. Um, uh, but it's easy to do that even, uh, you know, if you're sending out 20 emails uh, a month or 20 emails a week. You could, a piece of pay, uh, A4 paper, you know, what was my call to action in this one? Let's test it. And, and you talked there about a kind of repeated... Um, mailing. So do you have any kind of rules of thumb for, you know, by the time you've sent four or five, they're probably not going to respond or do you kind of keep mailing till they die sort of thing? Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It depends, uh, like everything, there's no hard and fast rule. It depends where they are on the scale of, uh, of potential fit, potential uh, end user value. Uh, and, you know, so at the mass level, uh, so a resource that I've mentioned before is a, is a uh, a book called Predictable Revenue by Aaron Ross. Mm-hmm. And Aaron Ross, uh, um, uh, uh, as far as I'm aware, it's certainly his claim that he was largely responsible for putting a cold outbound, uh, cold email approach into Salesforce. Um, so Salesforce's approach was they'd outreach X number of times, you know, three, four, whatever it was. Um, and in his book, he talks about, say, a, an 8% response rate. But it's very peculiar about an industry. So they were a SaaS company. You know, they were highly leveraged, investing a lot in marketing, a lot of product development, but truly a global world-dominating product. But their structure of business uh, necessitates volume. At their stage of growth where they were, with the investors that they were, it's a volume business. So the reality, and they had a mass, mass market, worldwide market, specifically English speaking worldwide, um, within the SMB category. So they only ever, for years, they would mass email, you know, each outbound rep would email 1,500 to 2,000 people a month. They would only ever deal with the people that responded. Mm. So, you know, if they were getting 8% response, the 92 they would kind of just put to the back burner uh, because that's what they needed. They needed the people who were instant qualifiers who they could, you know, do some work with and pull them on board, bring them into their onboarding process. But the rest of the people were kind of were put by the wayside. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that cannot afford to do that. If you're a, a management consultant with a target base of potential clients in the UK or in Europe of, of 2,000, you can't afford to just stop, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and again, you know, and I'm sure your, your customer, your clients are aware of, you know, the number of outreaches that it takes, you know, it used to be when I was selling it, people would say, you know, six, um, but, you know, I've seen statistics now saying 10, 12, mm-hmm. 15. So, gone up roadbound, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So you can combine this, you know, it's not just about, so I combine this with, with phone calls. You know, so it doesn't have to be four emails. It can be uh, an email, a call, a, a call with a voicemail. Um, it can be 
combined with uh, LinkedIn connections. Mm. So, you know, as part of the outreach, you also, uh, on the second one, you'd, you'd add them as a contact on LinkedIn. You know, it's about multi-dimensional. Each one is a contact. Each one is moving you towards it. it and in fact, I was, I was kind of chuckling today. It's... Um, you can combine this with offline as well. So, uh, one of the things that I, I kind of, I'm a blatant, uh, I would call it stealer or integrator of other people's ideas, whichever way you look at it. Um, but there's uh, a guy um, called Dave Lacani who many yeah. years ago wrote a book called How to Sell When No One's Buying. Uh, and one of his things there is, uh, is sort of sends an oversized postcard in like a bright pink or a bright orange um, saying, I'll call you, at, you know, place this by your computer, um, expect my call at 3.30 on Tuesday. You know, it was something of that nature. Uh, and again, it's just something slightly different. You can combine that with this. You know, if they haven't replied, send them an offline postcard that says, I'm going to give you a call between 3 o'clock and 4 mm-hmm. o'clock on Thursday. Place this by your computer. You know, again, it's, it's all about the difference. There is a different mindset when you're selling to larger companies and named accounts and a small number of people that it's about big investment for big return, not um, a tiny little bit of marketing to thousands upon thousands of people, yeah. hoping some of them will will kind of um, will, will 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 clock over into in, into buying. You, you're really setting your stall out to I'm going to win the you know a good percentage of these top 100 clients, and therefore I'm going to invest in my marketing and try lots of different approaches and keep going at it until I land them. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be a huge expense. You know, it, it's not that perspective. But you know, uh, again, you know, it's the whole concept of lifetime customer value and what you're prepared to win, you know, pay to to win um, a, a client coming in. You know, so you can you can combine it with lots of other approaches. It could be you know email, uh, and then it could be the postcard out. It could be you know what we call it, and I'm sure you're aware of shock and awe package, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know sending out a, a you know a quite a highly decorative box of your white papers, your book, your uh, testimonials, a DVD, you know whatever that type of thing. So it's multi-dimensional, and that's the key. You know, the the people who are likely to respond in two, three, four emails are the ones that are going to be really good yeah. conversations for you um but it doesn't mean to say that the rest you know you discard you know you should put every effort into it and with the rest it may be just that the timing's not right right now so it's not that they're not necessarily not interested but if you just keep in touch and you you kind of back is the wrong phrase because you're not kind of forgetting it but if you're just keeping doing something and you obviously you've got to construct emails and other ways of communicating that um, don't just become repetitive and boring and people going, oh, God, not another one. You've got to keep changing yeah. it up so that they're going to be interested, even if they're not ready to respond yet. And maybe in nine months' time, they are ready, or maybe a year's time, they are ready. So that dimension changes as well. It's not just about what you're doing. It's not all, if I can just find the right words, they'll say yes. It also has to, has to mesh with them being ready. Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny. I'll tell you about something about an email template. Funny because I, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that. But yeah, so you know, one of the simplest things that we do with mass. Um, so if you've got a company that's looking for mass penetration but only wants to deal with the people that are responding, and it has enough target market to kind of ignore the people who aren't for the moment. Um, one of the simple things that we do is people that don't respond get put in a bucket. Uh, and maybe either three or six months later, we commence the exact same process, the exact same emails. And you'll be amazed at how many people will reply on the second time around. Mm. The content of the email hasn't changed. The person hasn't changed. Nothing's changed other than timing. Mm. Um, but one of the things we do, so on our fourth email, uh, we have kind of a, because I guess a lot of people 
lack personality in some of their approach as well. Mm. Um, so when I started this, uh, one of the emails I did on the fourth email, again, it was a, a kind of a template that I uh, amalgamated from somewhere else. Um, and it was kind of, you know, we've tried to, uh, I won't go into the exact read it word for word, but essentially, you know, hey, John, we tried to contact you uh, a couple of times. Here. I'm only guessing that, you know, it could be one of three reasons why you haven't replied. So number one is, you know, you've already got a solution in place. Two, you know, it was something else. And kind of number three was kind of the, the humorous part, my attempt at humor was something like, you know, you've tried to respond, but um, you're currently trapped under a filing cabinet that's fallen over. <laughs> you're dying of malnutrition and starvation. But, you know, if you can hit reply, please do so because I'm worried about you. Um, so that was kind of the humorous side. And then, uh, again, I was, the first client I ever did this with, you know, very traditional management consultant, but they employed this kind of off-the-wall um, American who'd never done sales before to do the outbound. Mm. Um, and uh, and he kind of said, oh, I, I, I changed the, the content of this email a little bit. Uh, and I get in a load of responses, and I said, "Oh my God, what have you done?" And he changed the third one to something like, um, "You you want to reply back, but secretly you're Batman and have been too busy to respond, too busy fighting crime to respond." And I thought, "Oh my God, oh my God, what have you done?" But the responses coming back, were, we saw an uptake. Mm-hmm. Um, because it had a personality. So we said, okay, so let's egg this a little bit. So we physically then started including in the email a picture of Batman. And, you, you know, you'd be amazed at the uptake. Um, and they were kind of named account emails, so they mm. were, you know, being handwritten. So we then took that and said, okay, so how can we build that into our mass? Um, so we, because we don't know whether they're male or female. So we're now trialing one uh, where it's, you know, you're, you're secretly a superhero. And then we've got a picture of, you know, an, an assorted collection of superheroes, you know, male and female. Right. Um, so it's about personality um, and then there's you know we've got a variation that we do when uh, when they respond and they say yeah we're yeah we please give me a call, we want to get in, it sounds good, you know, I need to know a bit more, but please respond. You know, and then even then, sometimes we follow up, we can't get into contact with them. So we're trialing one at the, mo- the moment called Meerkat and the, the title is literally Meerkat and it's a variation of that, you know, we try to get in contact with you, you, you know, you replied on a certain date saying, you know, you thought this would be a good idea, we tried to get in contact with you, yeah, and then it's kind of a, a picture of sort of quite demon-looking meerkats and it's, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you've been too busy, you found another solution or you're secretly being attacked, you know, you're, I can't remember, you're being uh, attacked by killer meerkats. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, and it sounds ridiculous, but the amount of people that respond, equally, don't get me wrong, we've had one or two people that kind of reply saying this is trite and, uh, you know, uh, an, an inappropriate way to market. But we see a lot more replying, saying, "I like your style. Uh, you know, I like your approach. It's different. I like your yeah. persistence." Gosh, yeah. those people who, who really d- disliked it—they probably wouldn't have been the best people to work with, would they? <laughs> that <laughs> lacking of a sense of humour. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. It, you know, it, it's disqualification as much as qualification. Um, and you know, and, and your, your, you know, your customer, your clients can do something. Uh, you know, whatever it is that you, if you can link that back to something that you're doing or their target. Um, uh, service then even better mm. hey peter one, one final question um yes we've talked about a lot we've talked about um the kind of mechanics the getting the emails structuring structuring emails um targeting the right people we've talked about the sequences of emails um that sounds like quite a lot um how would you recommend people get started and kind of dip their toe in the water if they want to try out cold emailing and see whether they can get any traction with it 
Okay. Uh, like everything in this arena, uh, you can do your own research. So, you know, cold emailing as a Google search will find you a whole a whole raft of uh, of uh, different blog posts, different email templates, mm. and different things. You know, the, my 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 thing with that is, you know, if you're doing that, take into account the sources that are coming from, because a lot of them are tech and software as a service yeah, startups. just as you said before, where it kind of worked for them if they're going for VCs, but it may not work for you. That's it. And uh, Aaron Ross's book, it's an Amazon bestseller called Predictable Revenue. You know, that's a great start. It's probably eight bucks on, on mm. Kindle or something. You know, read that. That gives a good overview. But remember, that was a very, very unique business model. So they could afford to only ever deal with the 7 or 8% because they were, you know, global marketplace. Uh, they were, you know, a VC... Uh, Funded, we're looking for you know for revenue growth and uh, mm. uh, you know and numbers, um, and then of course you know, there's there are the things that I'm doing. So I've got a, a white paper. I, I don't know whether to call it a white paper or an ebook at the moment. It's uh, I think it's about thirty thirty one thirty two pages that kind of breaks down everything that I do into five key areas, and then there's some templates in there. There's some processes, um, and it's all you know resources. And you've got lots of links as well to all the resources like Salesloft and stuff like that, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's always been my nature. You know, I don't ever claim to have invented every single part of this system. You know, I'm a massive learner, and I've spent probably the best part of two years uh, researching, testing, looking at what everyone else is doing, taking the bits that I think work, taking the bits that I know will absolutely not work. Um, you know, based on all my other years of training and consulting experience prior to that. Um, so yeah, so I'm a big believer. You know, provide links, show people where these resources are, and let them go and try them a lot of the resources are free or, or freemium i.e. you can um, try them for free and then upgrade after 30 days and I've got templates in there um, so I'll make that uh, uh, available you know I've got a generic kind of landing page but I'll put one uh, together uh, specifically uh, for for your subscribers and I'll probably put a couple of templates in there as oh, well thank you Peter so we'll uh, put a link under this uh, video for that yeah so uh, it will yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it will be www.predictable pipeline.co.uk forward slash Ian Brody. Cool. Make it nice and easy. But uh, again, you know, I'm uh, 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 hoping that it comes across here. You know, I'm absolutely passionate about this and I'm constantly researching refiner and I'm always open to talk to someone. So, you know, I guess uh, you know, I'm a human being. I'm in the UK. You know, I know a lot of your, um, your audience are in the UK. So, yeah, another easy way is if they want to come to me uh, and uh, and chat, then you know I'm perfectly happy and amenable to that. And my mobile number, if people want that, and they can text me direct, is o seven nine six seven nine seven four treble seven. Send me off a text and hey, and let's just speak. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Peter. That's very generous, and thank you for all your time today. That's been really great. Thanks. Hey, yeah, no, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much.